Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Some of you know this about, uh, well, this is at least 25 years ago, but before I, so, so before I went to full-time ministry, I, I had another career, and I had a business here in Bloomington, and so um, this is in the day, and some of you are going to have no idea uh, what I'm talking about. So if you're over 45, help explain this to folks. But there used to be this phenomenon called the yellow pages. They were actually yellow. <laughs> and we had phone books that you actually picked up and they were white. Everybody's name was in there in white. And then you had the yellow pages and they were ads. And if you had a business, it was ama- It was one of the forms. It was not the only, it was not the biggest, but it was, it was a piece of your marketing. And so I was meeting with a yellow page rep and she, we were sitting in the lobby at, at my place, and, and um, you know, we were sitting on kind of two just lobby chairs with a table in between us here, and we're talking about this yellow page ad, and what would this yellow page ad look like, and what size would it be, full page, half page, what, what do you want to do with it? You, some of you folks, you remember this. You, the rest of you, you just got to trust me. This is a real thing. And, and so we were talking about it, and so then pretty soon, I'm down to like, okay, but let's talk for real here. Like, what, what would an ad like that, what would it cost me? Right? So she does this thing where she, she pulls, she just kind of, hmm, and then she pulls out a paper, piece of paper. You know what I'm talking about? She goes, she writes this number and then she goes, <laughs> she just slides it across the table. Now, listen, there's a, there is a strategy in sales, and some of you who are in sales, you know this, and some of the rest of you know this. Once that is slid across the table, whoever talks first loses. Okay, whoever talks next loses. And I know that. I knew that when she slid that piece of paper across at me. I'm fully aware of this. And I'm like, sister, I ain't talking. So it's going to be real quiet in here for a long time. So she, she slides it across. And it has now been forever. And it's just silent. Like we're getting into four seconds, five seconds. It's like forever, right? And I'm just determined. I am not cracking. I'm not saying a word. And so we just continue to sit there. And we both just sit there, and it's kind of like, like we're just doing this thing, you know? And finally, it was probably 15 seconds, and I cracked. Man, I just could not take it. I just, I'm like, well, that, you know, okay. And, and it was that silence. And silence is such a weird thing in the human experience. And I would say this, perhaps, it's a really weird thing, in particular in the American culture. We are so uncomfortable with the silence. And more than just being uncomfortable, a lot of times it's, what did that silence mean? Like, how am I supposed to interpret that silence? For instance, if you're a detective, if you're in the police uh, business, that type of thing, and you're, you're investigating and so you're questioning a suspect, if you ask a question and then there's silence, you instantly think, oh, they're hiding something. Right? If, if you're doing some kind of business tra- transaction and you make a proposal and there's too long a silence, you think, oh, they don't like it. They're not good with this. We're really uncomfortable with silence. About two years ago, I think it was, there was a movie that came out. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, but it was this movie that came out, and, and I remember reading about it because specifically it was a horror movie. But the thing that I read about it was specifically their strategy in the making of this movie was to have almost no background sound, no noise, of no, no sound of any kind during the movie. And just for the fact that it multiplies the creepiness and the eeriness, because the way that we interpret silence as, uh, we interpret it as, this is bad, this isn't a good thing. And so here's the thing that I would ask. We feel like that about each other. When we're having human interaction, we have conversations and there's, there's too much silence. 
And, and we, we interpret that as always as something bad. Here's my question for you this morning. What are we supposed to think when God is silent? See, how do we think about that? And how do we feel about that? In particular, we often think, ask these questions. Is he there? And does he care? What are we supposed to think when God is silent? I've had these episodes in my life where I've just been crying out to God and praying to God. I remember one thing in particular that was just gut-wrenching and it was so difficult. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Nothing. It was completely silence. And my question was, God, are you there? God, do you even care? Right? And I know if I feel that way, I know some of you have had that. Some of you are in that right now where you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you hear nothing. And you think in yourself, God, are you there? God, do you care? See, what are we supposed to think when God is silent? I've been praying for this spouse for 20 years. God, are you there and do you care? God, I've been praying for this child of mine. Are you there and do you care? God, I've had this health crisis. And some of you are in these situations right now. God, are you there? God, do you even care? I've had a, a financial crisis, a, a relationship issue, something at work, any of those things. And we pray and we cry out to God and we feel like it's crickets up there. God, are you there and are, do you care? What are we supposed to think when God is silent? See, if you've ever felt that way this morning, that I'd encourage you to tune in. And I would also say this. I would tune in anyway because if you're not there now, you will be. Like, like that's just the course of life at times. And so I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke's Gospel. We're starting a brand new series in the book of Luke, and we're going to preach for about 18 weeks. We're going to go through the Gospel of Luke, and, and I'll explain to you in a little while uh, what you're going to see and, and just some of the real interest about Luke chapter 1. It's, it's the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark in the New Testament, Luke, Luke chapter 1. And when you get it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, and uh, if you're new, just so you get used to this, this is something that we always do every week. When we read our primary text, we stand to our feet. And the reason we stand to our feet is to remind us this is actually God speaking. This is God speaking to us right now in this room in 2022. I believe God has a word for you today. Whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, whatever your background is, I believe with my whole heart that God will speak to you today. So this is Luke chapter 1, and I'm starting in verse 5. It says this, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right side of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your, life, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. 
you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your written word this morning, and and I'm grateful that it's your word, God. And I know that your Holy Spirit will give us understanding, so do that, God. Hear Hear our ask here. We want understanding. What are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to each individual? God, I pray that they would receive your teaching, that their hearts would be open to it, and that you would pierce right through anything that's going on, Lord God. Speak clearly from your word, and do it in a way, God, that gives you glory, that draws us to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So here's the deal. We're starting 18 weeks in the book of Luke. And so before we actually get into this text, just so you have general understanding of Luke's particular gospel, I just want to give you a little background into, the, into Luke, into who he was and his gospel. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Ezekiel 1, there's a passage, and, and kind of it, it talks to us about these four different faces. We think that each of the gospels has a, has a symbol. It's, it's not, this is not the most critical thing. But each of the gospels kind of has a symbol because of how it speaks. For instance, Matthew A devout Jew writes about Jesus as Messiah and King. And so the symbol, which early church fathers have determined the symbol for Matthew is an eagle, eagle, or a lion, rather. And Mark uh, writes about Jesus as the lowly servant. And so the symbol for the the Gospel of Mark is an ox. Uh, John's Gospel, John continues over and over to speak of Jesus as the Son of God, the Son of God. And so, therefore, the, the symbol for the Gospel of John is the eagle. But Luke writes about the humanity of Jesus. It's one of the things that you'll see, that over and over, Luke writes about the humanity of Jesus. And for that reason, the symbol for the book of Luke is, is simply a man. But you'll notice this over and over and over. He'll emphasize the humanity of Jesus. Now, just so you know this, we don't believe that Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. This is one of the mysteries of faith. We believe that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He did things that, that symbolized that he's a man. He, he felt human emotions. He had compassion, and he was tired at different times. And, and so we believe fully that he was fully uh, man. We also believe that he was fully God. He did things that only God could do. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He walked on water. 100% God, 100% man. Luke, however, just so you know, will emphasize very, times, very oftentimes the humanity of Jesus. He talks about Jesus' compassion. This is very interesting. For all people, and you'll see stories next week, next week, next week. Make sure you're here. Mark it on your calendar right now. Be here next week. You're going to see something about God's compassion for all people, not some select few, right? But Luke writes about God's compassion for all people. It's very interesting that Luke is a Gentile. Luke is a Gentile, and you should know that. He's the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. Think about that. There were no other Gentile writers. All the other writers were Jews. Some people would say, well, weren't the writers of the Old Testament all Jews? The reality is, there weren't Jews. Moses wasn't a Jew, 
right? We didn't really have Jews until Father Abraham started that nation. So it's, it's weird to say what was Moses, you know? But Luke is the only Gentile. He's the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. And so for that reason, he oftentimes writes about God's compassion for all people, not just a select few. It was written to a man named Theophilus. Now, just so you know this, there are some who believe that Theophilus is, is kind of a pseudonym, just speaking to the church. Uh, that's, that's possible. It could be. I, I, I have no idea. I would say this. I believe Theophilus is a real person. Uh, I believe that he's probably a wealthier person. I believe that he was a patient, very possibly, of Luke's, as, as Luke was a physician. The name Theophilus, Theos, is the name God. Right, that, that, that means God, and philio is the word love, and so Theophilus literally means uh, lover of God. We know that he's a physician. It's very interesting that as a physician, number one, you're going to see this in, in a small way today, he's very detail-oriented, and you're going to see that in some of Luke's writing. He's, he's into detail, but the other thing to me that's interesting as a physician, he writes about things that other gospel writers don't mention. For instance, Luke mentions the circumcision of Jesus. It's kind of a medical thing. Uh, Luke writes about uh, Jesus, the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus literally sweats blood. He literally sweats blood. It is a medical condition known as hematidrosis, where the body is under such great stress that capillaries burst, and they spill in to sweat glands, and he was sweating blood. Luke writes about that. Luke was the one who wrote about that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was taken. You remember what Peter did? Peter's like, oh, you ain't taking him, and he pulls out a sword, whoosh, what cuts off a guy, a man named Malchus, he cuts off his ear. Luke was the one who writes about the, Jesus reattaching the ear. Like, that's interesting to me. That's a physician who's writing these things. Luke is a traveling companion of Paul. You should know that. In the early church, there wasn't the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. We go Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, then Acts. In the early church, it was Luke-Acts. It was one book. Right? It's not till later years where we, the church has separated them. And that was because Luke wrote the book of Acts, and you read about it a lot of times where they're traveling together, and he'll say, we, it's those types of things. Luke was a traveling companion of Acts. And then the, the last thing that, there are a lot of things you should know. The last thing I'm going to mention, and I think this is important that we acknowledge this, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't, which means this, he wasn't there, which begs the question, how does he know? But we think all scripture was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So number one, he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Number two, he talked to other eyewitnesses. I believe clearly that he talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, because of the detail that Luke gives about the conception of Jesus and about the birth of Jesus. So it's just giving you a little background of Luke. But I want to get into our passage today. So look at verse 5 in your text. Look in your Bibles. It's talking in verse 5, and then it says this. Now, uh, just, just FYI, you'll know this, and, and I think this is a silly thing, and I won't get too far into it. But I do think sometimes this helps you to understand the Bible, is if you just understand storytelling. This is every movie that you've ever seen. It's every book that you've ever read. It's every story that you've ever read in the scriptures. This is how story works when you diagram it. Story goes along like this, and it's giving you background information. And then there's a problem. There begins a problem, and the story starts to go this, and problem builds problem. This is every movie. It's every movie. At Hallmark, it's 20 minutes to the hour. So at 20 minutes to the hour, 
it goes like this, and the problem keeps going, and the problem keeps going, and then there's a climax and resolution to the problem, like the, and it comes down like this, and then it goes. And if you, if you view story that way, and sometimes when you read your, the Bible, if you, if you diagram it out that way, you'll, it'll help you to see what this writer was trying to tell us in this story. If you understand where the problem began, what was the solution to the problem? So this section is where Luke is doing this. Right? He's given us all kinds of background information. He says, first of all, there's a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Okay, there's the first character that we're introduced to here is this, this Jewish priest. That's important that you know that. He is a priest, and he's a member of the priestly order of Abijah. Now, all priests come from the line of Aaron, but then under Aaron, there are 24 orders. We'll get to that in a second. But he's of specifically of the order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth is also from the priestly line of Aaron. All priests are from the line of Aaron, with Zechariah, he just happened to mention that he's from the order of, of, of Abijah. Got that? So we're introduced to Zechariah and we're introduced to Elizabeth. We know that they're both from the priestly lines. As a man, then, Zechariah is a priest. That's important that you know that. And it says, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order. He's of the order of Abijah. Got it? And his order was on duty. So what they would do is, your order is kind of like being in the National Guard, but uh, about every, there were 24 orders, so about every 20, uh, 24 weeks, your order would be called. And for wherever you lived in Israel, you would go to Jerusalem and you would serve at the temple. Okay, this is that time for him. It's that weekend of the month where he's got to serve, right? And so he's, he goes to the temple. It's, that's his week. And it says this, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen... Get this now. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. Now, just you should, I'd be doing this in my Bible. I'd be underlining, I'd be highlighting. This is a huge deal. He was chosen by lot. There were said to have been over 20,000 priests in Israel. And so they would literally, there's this lottery system, as your order is called, to see what you would do. I just want you to know this. He's burning incense. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. This will probably never happen for him again. It's probably never happened. This is, this is, which is encouragement. For those of you who are playing the lottery, just keep playing. No, that's a different. And so what I'm saying is this was kind of a, just erase that on the tape. We'll just take that all out. And so, but this is a lottery type thing. And here's what happens. Some of you understand this, that the way that the temple is, is structured, right? So once you enter inside the temple, you have the holy place. And then right at the end of the holy place, there's this tall veil, this tall curtain. Remember this. This is the curtain that when the moment Jesus died, it was torn. And it said this, torn from top to bottom. Why? Completely separated. Because what this curtain, uh, curtain did, this veil, it separates. Sometimes in our songs, we sing, the veil was torn. This is what they're talking about. It separates the holy place from the holy of holies. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? And the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. Okay, that's inside this curtain. Now, the, the Holy of Holies, nobody could go in there. Only the high priest could go in there. And even then, he could only go in there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people on Yom Kippur. Okay, so we know this, that Zechariah now was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense because the incense is right up against that curtain. You are right there. Now, you can't go through the curtain, but he's right up there and he's burning incense. The incense then, as it burned, represents the prayers of the people. He's right up against it. It's once in a lifetime. 
There he is. Now, just to back up one minute, this is going to be important for a second. We know this about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and you would have read this before where we started. It says that they, were, uh, they, didn't, they couldn't have children, that Elizabeth couldn't conceive, and it also says that they were old. Some translations say, and I love this, they were advanced in years. Let me just clue you in. If you ever get a birthday card that says, happy birthday, you are now advanced in years, that means you may need help blowing out your candles. Just keep that in mind. Okay, so we know that about him. We know he's old. We know that they have not been able to have children because Elizabeth can't conceive. He's burning incense. This is an awesome opportunity for him. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And this is where I think you just get little things. I don't know why this is significant, but I think these are the little kinds of things you can expect from Luke as you're, as you're going through. The angel is standing to the right of the incense altar. I don't know why that matters. I don't know why Luke would write that down, but it just gives you some insight into how Luke writes that he's totally detail-oriented, that he would write things like that. Okay, Zechariah is standing there, and this angel of the Lord appears, just like that. Now, just so you know this, this idea that we have of angels in the Bible, where angels are these little fat babies with this golden curl here, that is not consistent with the scriptures at all. Angels are masculine, and they are awesome, and they are ferocious. Like, that's an angel in the Bible. Okay, that just appears to Zechariah here. And so because of that, it says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. This word, shaken, overwhelmed, it, it, it's the original language. It literally means he's had his innards shaken. He's like this. And, and I always just play the movie. I know some of you do this if you're visual. I just see Zechariah, and this thing comes out, and he's old, and he's like, Ooh, he's kind of doing that thing. You know, he's, 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 he's like, what would you think if this, this, this amazing angel all of a sudden just appears? And, and so his response, the angel says this, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Now, now listen, this is stuff I'd be marking my Bible. This is stuff I'd, I'd underline. This is stuff I'd pay careful attention to. God, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Well, I wonder what he was praying for. What's he referring to? And now he tells you, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. Now, stop and just do the math on this for just a second. It says that they're old. Okay, we know that an ancient Israelite uh, would, be, would be married probably by the time they were 20, and it very well could have been before that. Okay, he's old now. I, I don't know. I don't know the exact math. Is he 70? And he says, God has heard your prayer. Here's my question. How long was that dude praying? Was it 40 years? Was it 50 years? Nothing. I'm, I'm getting nothing. I'm praying. I've been praying for the first year now. We're married. I'm praying for the first year. Nothing. That's a little frustrating. And all our friends are our age, and they're all having children. And so I keep praying. God, I've been at five years. Come on, God. Come on, God. Can we have a child? Nothing. Ten years. Twenty years. You understand what I'm saying? He could very well have been praying for 50 years, and he's hearing nothing. And now after 50 years, God says, oh, I have heard your prayer. 50 years. Can I just say this for a minute? Because I think this is very, a very real possibility. I do believe that there are people in here who have been praying for a child. You may be in the room today. And you've been praying for a child for 20 years, for 30 years. Listen to me. You keep praying. Don't you stop praying. 
You just keep praying. Some of you have been in a marriage, and you would literally say to me if I were to talk to you, it's been hell for 30 years. I know, you're in the room right now, and maybe you're watching online. Here's, here's what I would say to you. You just keep praying. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. There's been a health condition, and it's a family member. Don't you stop praying. Some of you are praying for your folks, and it's just been rough at your house, and you've been praying two years, and you've been praying three years, and it's been really difficult. And this is what I'm saying to you. Don't you stop praying. God hears your prayers. God has heard your prayers. It's been probably somewhere around 50 years. And this angel, and he comes and he says to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. What do we do when we don't hear anything and God's not speaking to us? You just keep praying. You just keep pursuing God. You just keep seeking God. But it's painful. But you don't know how much I'm hurting. You don't know how painful it is. And I say, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Now, I do want to make a side note on this because this is interesting. Millennials, you think you're awesome in the way that you do these gender reveals. I'm going to tell you, you don't know anything about gender reveals. Here's the way this verse would have come out back in those days. And you will have a son. And that thing would have popped in blue powder. That's a gender reveal. When the angel Gabriel comes out and says, you're going to have a son, that's a gender reveal. Millennials, you don't know squat about gender reveal. And I think it's interesting. He says, you're to name him John. John is Johannes, and John means God's grace. And this is God's grace to them. But listen to me, because this is going to come in in a second. This is God's grace to everybody in this room. This is God's grace to everybody sitting in this room. This is what he tells him. So I'd start paying attention to this, because this is what he's going to tell them about this son of theirs. And we're going to compare this in just a second. This is what they're saying about this son that they're going to have named John. He says, he will be a man. Now, I would underline this with the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah is an Old Testament prophet who spoke with power. He says he's going to have the spirit and the power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people of, for the coming of the Lord. Very important. We're going to look at that in a second. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, if I had my Bible out, I'd put a note in there, right? Or I'd put this in my notes. Malachi 4. Write that down. Malachi 4. Now, I want you to see, because this is a very clear reference to the Old Testament prophet Malachi. And listen to me. Zechariah is a priest. He knows this. He absolutely knows exactly what Gabriel, this angel, you'll find that out later in the chapter, that this is Gabriel. He knows what Gabriel is talking about. He knows exactly what he's saying to him. Look at Malachi chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Look at it when you get home. Malachi 4, chapter 5 and 6. This is God speaking. says this, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah, and I'm sending him before the great and dreadful day for the Lord arrives. I'm, I'm doing this before that to get people ready for it is what he's saying. His preaching, where did we hear this before? Will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and I'll strike the land with a curse. Okay, now go back to our text, and here's what he said. He says, he'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. This is a reference back to Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. That's what was said in Malachi. It says he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's what it said in Malachi. And he'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, question, why is that so important? Why is that such a big deal, especially in the context that we're talking about today? 
And here's why. Listen, if you think this stuff is coincidence, man, go, go, go rattle your brain for a minute. There's no chance that this is coincidence. Watch this. Who are our adults that we were introduced to here? Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now watch this. The name Zechariah in the Hebrew is Zecharias. You may have that printed in your Bible as Zecharias. Zechariah, it comes from these words, Zakar. Zakar is a Hebrew to remember. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's specifically the idea of remembering, calling to mind in a way that, that, that stimulates you to move, to do something, to change your feeling and behavior. It comes from remember. And Yah is from Yahweh. Therefore, the name Zechariah means God remembers. Now, just wait. God remembers. But the mother was Elizabeth. Elizabeth in the Hebrew is Elisheva. El is for God, Elohim, El Shaddai. They're the names of God. El is God. And the word Shiva, Elisheva, which we would say Elizabeth. In the Hebrew, they say Elisheva. Shiva is oath. It's the oath of God. The name Elizabeth means the oath of God. So when you put Zechariah, God remembers, plus he's together with Elizabeth, Elisheva, the oath of God, it means this, God remembers his oath. Now listen, this is really important stuff for this reason, because who's he saying this to? He's saying this to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, and he's speaking specifically about their son, John. The last prophet in the Old Testament is the prophet Malachi. Uh, so, so here I'll explain it this way. Malachi is what we call the last uh, Old Testament prophet. Technically, John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet because he, he died before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. But we always refer to, to Malachi as the last of the Old Testament prophets. Okay, from Malachi to this word in, John, in, in uh, Luke's gospel about John, there is a span here of 400 years. And church fathers call these 400 years the silent years. In other words, we don't hear from God. We don't hear anything from God. Question, what are we supposed to be thinking when God is silent? Here's a question, is God there? Here's another question, does God care? And what we see of this, this is no coincidence that God brings Zechariah and Elizabeth together to have a son. The, the message is given to Zechariah, you waited 50 years, maybe, perhaps, somewhere in that ballpark. I'm still working. I, I'm, still, I'm still at it. Man, what are we supposed to think when God is silent, when we don't hear him, when you've been praying and you pray over and you pray over and you pray over and you pray for a child and you pray for your parents. Maybe you're praying for a spouse. Some of you in this room are very likely praying for a child and, and, and you pray for financial crisis and you pray for health crisis and zero and you hear nothing and you feel nothing and you see nothing. What are you supposed to think? And, and this is not original. This is by no means original. But hopefully this reminds you today. It's our big so what? God's silence is not God's absence. And I would say it this way. Not is it only not God's absence. It's not God's indifference. It's not that God doesn't care. It's not that God's not there. It's not that God doesn't see you, that he doesn't hear you. Man, I believe there are folks here. You, you just need to hear this. Because you are praying and you are hurting. And it is gut-wrenching. And God says, I feel you. I see you. I hear you. P.S. I'm at work. Man, Zechariah and Elizabeth had to wait 50 years. You're going to have to wait 50 years? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, we waited 400 years since Malachi. Are you going to have to wait 400 years? I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do. Here's what I know. I know that God is sovereign. I know that he's in control. I know that his plan is perfect. 
I know that his plan is for our good. The scriptures say this, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, it's going to be hard. And so the psalmist tells us this, be brave. And by the way, be courageous. But here's the deal. Wait patiently for the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his goodness. A lot of you know the story, you know, the Israelites in the end of the book of Genesis, they, they finally formed a people and they were down in Egypt. And then in Exodus, God raises up Moses and he raises up Aaron and they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God finally leads them out and they get out and they haven't entered the promised land yet. They're just getting close to enter the promised land. Boom, Moses dies. The greatest leader the nation of Israel has ever known. And everybody's going to lose their marbles. And God says to, to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. I want you to lead these people. Well, God knows how we feel. God understands our fear. And so what does he specifically say to Joshua? He said, this is my command. This, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God says, I'm with you. I'm with you wherever you go. And I know he wasn't speaking that directly to us. I know he spoke that to Joshua. But God's principles are God's principles. God is with you wherever you go. And I would say this, man, when you're just, you're feeling it. When you're feeling it, some of you are feeling that today. You came in here and you're like, man, I've been crying out to God. Give me this garbage about cry out to God. I've been crying out to God. I don't hear, I don't hear a thing. What, what am I supposed to do? Like, how long does this go on? Is God there? Does God care? What am I supposed to think? Because God is silent. Like, what do I do with this? Number one, I would just say this, man. Keep praying. Don't you stop praying. I think you just keep praying. I think that's what you do. I think you trust in God. I think you trust in his sovereignty. I think you trust in God's goodness. I think, I think we recommit ourselves to that. I think for some of us, we need to make that a declaration today. God, that when I don't see it, I know you're still working. God, when I don't feel you, I trust that you're still working. 